Just before you listen to this episode of Hollywood Sources, let me tell you that you can come and join us live for a special recording on the 21st of March as we mark 25 years of devolution. Already confirmed, Alex Salmond, Jack McConnell, Henry McLeish, all former First Ministers of Scotland, of course. You can hear them in conversation, ask them your questions, make your points as well. Come along and see us. Get your tickets at hollywoodsources.com forward slash live. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you agree with J.K. Rowling that Nicola Sturgeon was a destroyer of women's rights? I think J.K. Rowling is incredibly brave and I think Nicola Sturgeon has done a lot for women and girls and has been an exceptional mentor when it comes to women and girls. I'll give you a pretty binary answer. No, I don't think Nicola Sturgeon is a destroyer of women's rights at all. Quite the opposite. I think uh, J.K. Rowling has been very brave in the way that she's... um you know, advocated for this issue at a time like we were talking about earlier, at a time a few years ago when hardly anyone dared to speak up on this issue because they were fearing for their livelihood. Hello and welcome to Hollywood Sources. We're recording on Thursday the 23rd of March. Apologies for the slightly late arrival of your podcast this week. I was very selfishly on holiday. But hooray, I'm back and so is the podcast. Thank you for being here. Lots has happened since we last spoke and lots is yet to happen in the SNP leadership campaign. Uh, We are just days away now from a result and from the vote on who will become the next First Minister as well. Here to talk us through all are your insiders as ever. Jeff Aberdeen, former Chief of Staff to Alex Salmond when he was First Minister. Hello, Jeff. Good morning. Hello, hello. And we've got Andy McKeever as well, who was Director of Communications for the Scottish Conservatives. Hello, Andy. And who was not on holiday. <laughs> yes. We were just waiting, waiting for you to come back, Callum. Yes, well, sorry, I left everybody in slight limbo. I had a lovely time. I can confirm that politics in the United States, um, well, arguably, actually, is slightly calmer than here right now. Although, at one point, when I was in New York a couple of days ago, uh, we were anticipating the arrest of Donald Trump. So, I mean, that's actually no small <laughs> small issue, is it? Uh, that seems to have been put off till next week. Um, in any case, great to be back, and thank you for being with us on Hollywood Sources. If you want to share your thoughts, if you'd like to ask Andy or Jeff any questions as well, um, you've got exclusive access to them. So as we're going through all of this, if anything springs to mind, then feel free to email. The email address is hello at hollywoodsources.com. And of course, make sure you follow and subscribe to the podcast because the next one we bring you will be in the aftermath. We'll have a result. We'll be analysing who has won this thing. Uh, So we'll be doing all of that on our next episode as well. Right, today then, Andy, shall we first of all, I suppose, consider, I mean, as we need to with all of these, where we're at so far and what your sort of take is on the campaigns. We've now had all the debates. We've seen all the heads to heads. It's all about the voting over the next couple of days until it closes on Monday at lunchtime. Um, and so just a, just a take on where things stand, I think, to get us going. I think it's always useful to do that, actually, because if you go back to about six weeks ago, um, Nicola Sturgeon told Laura Kunzberg that she had plenty left in the tank 
uh, and that she wasn't going anywhere anytime soon. I think it would have been difficult for anybody to predict that we had gone from there to where we are today, where it feels like the world has completely changed. Um, it's also interesting to reflect on the immediate aftermath of Nicola Sturgeon's resignation, because most people would have told you that the favourite to be the new leader would have been Angus Robertson, um, who turned out not to stand at all. Angus decided to, to not do it. Um, and it came down to Kate Forbes, who was always thought to be a favourite, and Hamza Yousaf, who had been over the last few years thought to have kind of fallen out of uh, the the list of options for being the next leader of the SNP. So we're we're kind of in a new world now where it's almost as though we always felt all along there'd be this Hamza Yusuf Kate Forbes thing. But actually it wasn't really the case. This is actually it's still all quite new. I'm I'm sort of reminded of that old Lenin quote, not John Vladimir. <laughs> Um, where he said that there are uh, I don't yeah, know if I've quotes but <laughs> <laughs> yeah that would be that's a good that's one work, right actually, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where he said that Get there are uh, the fish. <laughs> there are decades where nothing happens and then there are weeks where decades happen yeah. and it feels like every time we record one of these podcasts there's been another week where a decade has happened um, so you know I think that we have reached the point where all of the um, internal uh, concerns and squabbles and skirmishes, uh, skirmishes, maybe skirmishes as well, but skirmishes that um, were always under the surface and always kept away from the public eye in the SNP have just exploded into this massive contest, which, you know, surely will be looked back upon as being one of the most meaningful events of devolution full stop and possibly the most meaningful event in the cold light of day that's ever happened in the SNP because you have this contest not between two potential leaders but between two completely different visions. Mm. You know, we've said before that it almost looks like Hamza Youssef and Kate Forbes are in a different party and that's not that big a surprise inside a party that is held together by independence rather than by ideology. And so you have this you know, leftist candidate who is very favourable towards the coalition agreement with the Greens, um, talks about uh, a well-being economy, uh, higher taxes, more funding for public services, against a candidate who is focused on economic growth, is focused on public service reform. Um, and really, it looks like we're not just choosing an SNP leader here, we're actually choosing a new government. Um, and I, so I think that to go from that Nicola Sturgeon interview with Laura Kunzberg to this in the space of six weeks is really quite remarkable. Yeah, it is remarkable. And Jeff, when you then considered the candidates as we cruise towards the end of this thing, um, where where is what is your analysis on where things stand? Let's just start with that. Yeah, I mean, the biggest takeaway I have since the last time we all spoke um, clearly has been the, the, the burach, as it's been called by uh, some SNP uh, leading politicians in, in terms of the party membership um, uh, revelations and, you know, the, the, the allegations of deceit uh, around revealing their true uh, nature. I think that the most frustrating thing, if you're of an SNP persuasion, if you're an SNP member or voter just now, is that all of the problems... Uh, almost all of them, I should say, perhaps not all of them, have their root in what is called, you know, self-shooting in the foot. Mm. 
you know, the party decided to have a shorter uh, election period. There's normally a period of months. So there was no opportunity for some individuals to reconcile their own personal lives um, and, 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 and investigate whether they think they could uh, enter the race at any point. It was um, shortened hugely. Then you had the situation where uh, press were not going to be invited to the hustings. That there was a quick U-turn there. Then we had the membership figures controversy, something that, by the way, had been intimated at the outset, as soon as Nicola Sturgeon announced her decision to stand down, she, you know, people were talking about, well, how many members are there? What is the electorate? What that illustrates is a party that simply wasn't prepared to undertake this leadership election in any shape, way or form. And I think the biggest regret those in the SNP will have is actually one more of an organisational um, um, calamity rather than actually the contest itself. I know there's been a lot of um, commentary on the approach taken by Kate Forbes. They're all been um, at each other's uh, necks throughout the, the campaign. I have no issue with that. That happens in leadership contests. Your job is to show what you do differently. So it should get punchy and far better that than a mundane affair. Mm. So I think actually the biggest regret from the SNP will be the organisational um, and process difficulty they've gone into because it really has um, really made made us look the SNP look quite a, a party lacking credibility and discipline, and that is something that was never the case in the last uh, uh, 15, 16 years. That's really interesting for those of us outside the SNP as well, because people outside the SNP looked upon the SNP as being the slickest force in, not just in Scottish politics, but in UK politics, and arguably to a degree in European politics, where not only were they... Um, uh, very good at winning elections. They were seen as being an incredibly slick campaign force and a very, very well-run, slick operation internally. And then you have this situation where, you know, they can't run a leadership campaign. <laughs> and you say, that's just not what a lot of us really expected to see. We thought this would be done perfectly. And obviously it's been far from that. But lots of lessons to learn, I guess, in terms of process and where things go from here. I just wonder, then, if we sort of turn to the candidates specifically, because one of the things I was kind of struck by was a bit of commentary online in the immediate aftermath of questions around integrity, the integrity of the vote and the ballot. And once that was, I suppose, cleared up uh, to the extent that it was, this kind of almost immediate calm from Kate Forbes, which was, oh, I accept the integrity of this thing, actually, and I just wonder if there was, on the flip side of that, a bit of an unsettled feeling from, from Team Yusuf. And actually, if that is giving away uh, any sort of expectation from any of the leadership candidates, I guess I'm saying, can we read into that, that we know who's in the lead at this point? Um, Jeff, am I jumping the gun? Well, <laughs> you know, the interesting thing about that question is, you know, we've been reassured from the party HQ that nobody is seeing any real-time data so I have no uh, understanding how any candidate could know if they're ahead or behind at this stage. OK, you, you can pick feelings up speaking to people um, uh, that you come into contact with, but you're not going to come into contact with 70 odd thousand people. So mm. I, I'm not sure anyone really knows. What, what, I, what I think um, uh, might be kind of um, making this kind of... <laughs> 
that, that sense of perception that you've alluded to, because I share it as well. Firstly, I think Kate Forbes is trying to present herself as a stateswoman and trying to say, look, we'll, we'll accept the outcome. I've asked the questions of Party HQ. Let's crack on and get on with it and kind of appeal to that. Yes, yeah, she's got a, a kind of a, 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 a common sense approach there. But there's something else that might be happening as well. If you think about the Kate Force campaign, continuity wouldn't cut it. She was criticised for kind of questioning the need for a refresh and a party renewed. Well, you know, Nicola Sturgeon and herself in her interviews this week said, yeah, this is an opportunity. This is a moment to renew and refresh the party, essentially aping what uh, Kate Forbes has been saying in the campaign, whereas Hamza had originally tried to say, no, I'm going to continue the great work of Nicola Sturgeon, which I'm sure he still would. And I wonder if, if part of the um, kind of temperament that we're seeing from uh, the debates of late is that perhaps Hamza's realised that, yeah, I should have really been a bit more forceful on that. Now, that all that said, for me, instinctively, I still think Hamza's favourite. Um, I still think that the weight of the parliamentary support from Will will perhaps, you know, nudge him across the, the 50% line. But I think one thing's for certain, it's a close contest. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a very close contest and perhaps closer than most people would have thought it would be at the outset. And did you agree with that? Is is it Has there been a shift based on those questions of integrity? And actually, is it is it a closer run thing than, than perhaps we may have anticipated? Um. I think like most political contests, you will have your people on either side that will not be capable of changing their mind. So um, those who would be natural Nicola and Hamza supporters will be largely unbothered by the perception of this being an establishment stitch-up, quote-unquote. Um, they won't mind that, really, because they're never going to vote for anybody else anyway. And ditto those who would be um, in favour of Kate Forbes or Ash Reagan um, will, you know, look at the uh, internal machinations and the allegations of bias towards Hamza and all that sort of thing and it will just, you know, persuade them that they were right all along and that they're right to uh, vote for one of the change candidates. I think the important thing is what do the people in the middle think um, and, you know, have they had their minds changed one way or another by what's been going on and I think that you... You, you see Kate Forbes in particular really trying to appeal to that set of undecided voters. I think it's been quite clear that she's looked at those undecideds and said, well, they are people who are capable of nuance. I can persuade these people. And I think the main thing that she's tried to persuade them of is that um, if you don't get soft unionists to vote yes, you'll never get independence. And so... I'm going to tell you the things that you need to hear rather than just the things that you want to hear. And I think that's really what her whole campaign has been based on. I think that, um, back to the question of how much can we read into what each candidate's been doing. Internal leadership contests in political parties are completely impossible to call. So we've seen this before. I remember a time where people said there is absolutely no prospect whatsoever that Boris Johnson will ever be the leader of the Tory party. He can't command the support of the MPs. People just don't like him. He's a liar. Blah de blah de blah. And you know, obviously, we look back on that and think, well, that was well, that was nonsense. The same was said about Jeremy Corbyn, of course, that he could never be leader of the Labour Party, and there were many, many good reasons given by many, many intelligent people as to why that could never happen. And then they all have to reverse engineer why it actually did happen and why they were right all along, even though they were wrong. Um, and you know, I, and I think I often have thought that during the last few weeks, where 
you know, you do hear people talking with a degree of certainty about exactly what is happening in this leadership contest. And the reality is, I don't think anybody knows. I don't think anybody has a clue what is happening in this. I think we have to take it, there, there have been, you know, we may as well address the fact that over the last four or five days, there have been rumours um, that Hamza Youssef has seen internal numbers and that he doesn't like them and that he um, thinks that he's lost. Um, uh, that has been floating around. It's been written in a couple of newspaper articles and uh, on a couple of websites that that is what has happened. Um, I, I just I think we I think the most sensible thing to do is to not believe any of that. To be honest with you, I think the most sensible thing to do is to presume that nobody knows anything. Um, I think what we can say with a reasonable degree of certainty is that in week one when we thought that Kate Forbes' campaign was dead after a day, I think we can say with reasonable certainty that that, that is not the case. Uh, and that at the very least, she's in with a chance here. I just think we have no real idea what that chance is. What I always come back to, if I am forced to say what I think is going to happen and who I think is going to win, I just think about what who joined the SNP after 2014 when it was a party of much, much smaller membership and went up to, you know, over 100,000. And I know that it's down to 70, just over 70,000 now, but that's still a lot more than it was before the referendum in 2014. And all logic tells us that the people who joined that party after 2014 were urban, young, left-wingers who had left Labour and who were seeking independence through a different vehicle socially liberal, um, economically left, uh, and everything points towards Hamza Youssef winning those votes. Um, lots of them have left the party, we know that, we know that from the figures that were released last week. Um, and they may also may not vote in such large numbers as the more dedicated, older guard of members, but just the weight of numbers of the quote-unquote new batch of members as opposed to the old batch of members, will make me consider Hamza Youssef to be the favourite right up until the very moment that the leader is announced. Yeah, yeah. Is there a chance, as the candidates look forward to, which, you know, and, and perhaps picture themselves winning, is there a chance that actually they don't really, they don't really want this job in the end, that it becomes something of a, of a, of a kind of poison chalice, Jeff? Is that... Is that where what this leadership contest is kind of pointing to? A fragmented party, an entry that we've discussed on previous episodes that's an absolute nightmare. Will they be able to progress the party? Can they bring people back together? Will they win more votes? Is this actually just the impossible task? Well, a number of questions are there. I mean, firstly, they wouldn't be human if there wasn't an element of them going, what am I getting myself in here for, you know? Um, I think for Hamza, his big trepidation is, I can carry the party, but from what we've seen... Uh, I'm not particularly, you know, favoured by the public from the polls. And the reverse is true for Kate. You know, she can look at the uh, the public and say, if I can appeal to them, I'm OK, but can I keep the party together? Now, neither of these um, is seamless. Uh, and so I think, you know, there's no doubt that there'll be a, a sense of trepidation from all of them. And also because it's such a huge job and you're following in the footsteps of Nicola Sturgeon and Alex Salmond before, um, who are such huge figures. Um, there's a lot to live up to in terms of um, your capabilities. To your broader point, um, I I think the 
the biggest challenge, you know, we're going to learn a lot um, about each, whoever the leader is in that first 10, 14 days. They mm. have to establish a cabinet. Um, they have to uh, pitch their tent on some pretty big policy decisions. And the ability to take that through is going to be um, seismic. And I think Andy said earlier on, this is one of the defining moments of devolution. I totally agree. So we've had in the last couple of days, Hamza being kind of, I think there was a, a bit of contradiction in his approach, I think clarified it on, on gender recognition. Um, making that one of your first issues, as he's kind of said he wants to, is, is laced with difficulty. And we know there's divisions there. It's one of the reasons, of course, that, that led to, to perhaps Nicola Sturgeon um, stepping down. Uh, for Kate, can she bring these people together in any meaningful way? How does she operate with Westminster parliamentarians who've been pretty outspoken about her? Um, I, I, I see uh, the next two to three weeks uh, following this election, absolutely crucial to see if they can succeed as First Minister. It's that important. And I do think, and uh, uh, Andy, you and I have discussed this, that there's got to be some sort of role for uh, the respected figures in the party like John Swinney. Uh, I know he said he doesn't want to be part of the um, uh, government, but I do wonder if he could be tempted back into some sort of role for a period to try and calm the calm the um, the stable, so to speak. I think Stephen Flynn, Westminster parliamentary leader, has got a big role to play here. He's um, done pretty well since he's become leader and he's commanding respect uh, um, across the political divide. Uh, utilising his talents as well. There's going to be a lot of things that need to be done for this to be a successful tenure. Mm. And we've got an election um, next year and Labour are coming. Uh, there is no doubt about it. Whether whether they are going to be able to have a, a landslide is another question, but I think we all accept there's going to be some seats transferring to Labour in all likelihood. Uh, the threat is there. Mm. And so the next three, four weeks are hugely important for Scottish politics and for the SNP in particular. Andy, I know this is something that you wanted to pick up on as well, just in terms of this, is this just the job that nobody wants? What's your analysis of that? Well, you know, the SNP have got 48 seats out of 59 at Westminster, 80% of the seats. Um, they have 64 seats at Holyrood, almost a majority in a system proportional representation system where that is specifically designed to not happen. And um, irrespective of who wins, it's going to be incredibly difficult to avoid losing ground at both of these elections, whether it's Hamza or Kate, it doesn't matter. How do they win 48 seats at Westminster, which they won on the back of 45% of the vote when they're currently polling less than 40% of the vote? It's incredibly difficult to hold on to these seats. Labour have gone up 10 points in the polls since the last election. So it's really hard to hold on to these seats. And you can see the other side of the election campaign, the losing side of the election campaign, having a real eye on that election. So let's say Hamza wins next week and then loses all these seats. The first thing that people say is, I told you that Nicola 2.0 wasn't going to work. How was Nicola 2.0 ever going to work when Nicola 1.0, uh, you know, couldn't get any more than that. You're never going to get more than Nicola 1.0, so why did you try to be the same? And then if Kate wins, you're going to have people saying, I told you that we shouldn't have lurched to the right. It's because of the social affairs stuff, it's because of the gay marriage, all that stuff. All these people have disappeared and they've gone to Labour. They don't like us anymore. And 
it's almost a no-win situation, I think. So there's a massive expectation management exercise to carry out here. As soon as, as soon as they've won, I think there's a huge expectation management exercise because whoever wins, I don't think they're going to win 40 ACs. I don't think they're going to win anything close to 40 ACs. Andy, Andy, I mean, I totally agree with that. Um, who would you rather be? Hmm. Okay, and, I, and I, I, this is being a bit unfair to Ash Reagan, but I think we, we all anticipate it's going to be one or two people. Yeah. Um, so who would you rather be, purely politically right now? Would you rather be Kate or Hamza? Um, becoming first minister, and uh, who, 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 from a purely political point of view, who do you think stands to have the most success? Well, that's a really interesting one. I think that Kate's approach needs a longer runway to be successful, electorally successful, than Hamza's approach does, because he is the continuity candidate, and. Uh, Notwithstanding what I just said about the fact that I think you'll find it hard to hold on to all the seats and votes that, that they have, because he's the continuity candidate, I think um, by the very nature of there being less of a change, I think stability will be easier with Hamza than it would be with Kate. I think with Kate, because you're talking about such a massive change for the SNP and potentially for the government in the country, one year until an election is a very short runway to have that take effect. Now, Kate Forbes is capable of getting voters who currently vote uh, Conservative and who currently vote Labour to vote SNP. She's able to do that. The question is, does she have time to do that before the next election? Or will the, the sort of left side of the SNP rush off somewhere else more quickly then the other side might come on board. So my gut feeling would be that it'll take Kate longer to settle into this than it would take Hamza purely on a policy basis. Yeah, I mean, I um, there's not much to disagree with there, but just to provide the counter view for a second, if Kate were to win, and we know that she's more favoured by the public and she puts in quite a, a radical programme of change and policy direction, and the public like that, and the polls that come out, and you know, as we've discussed before in this podcast, anyone tells you a politician doesn't look at the polls is frankly lying. <laughs> um, and the if they if the public seem to respond to that, you know, you've talked before about a survival instinct. Do you not think that that you know the party might go, okay, actually, we might do all right with Kate in charge. I'm just going to um, keep my my counsel to myself just now until we see how this thing all transpires. You know, I can, you can see that happening as well. Whereas Hamza has to appeal to the public. We know he's got the majority of the party support. And maybe as soon as you become first minister, okay, winning the party leadership is one thing. And then becoming first minister, you have to appeal to that broader demographic, the general public. So I do accept probably, I'm, 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 I'm inching towards what you think as well, actually. Um, I think I'd probably rather be Hamza, but don't rule out Kate being well regarded by the public if she does that and people you know um going along with her program if they think it's going to be successful in that election yeah and by success i agree with you expectation management you know i think that's you, you have to be very careful one of, i mean you know we we've talked a bit about him over the over the weeks john swinney has obviously been a very important person in this party for you know a couple of decades or more um his most important role may still be to come. It may be the most important role he's ever performed for the SNP 
and that'll be the role he'll play if Kate Forbes wins on Monday. Because I don't think, Nicola Sturgeon included, I don't think there is any, and you'll know much better than me, Jeff, because you know the party obviously internally much more than me, but my read would be that Nicola Sturgeon included, there is nobody who will be more important than John Swinney if Kate Forbes wins in making all the phone calls and having all the meetings with all the people that need to be brought on board to hold this party together if she wins. Because I think that he will... I mean, you know, he, and he's got a good personal relationship with Kate Forbes. Obviously, they've had a, a bit of a tete-a-tete over the last few weeks about um, the religious element and, and social policy and so on, and, and obviously he's backed Hamza. But he has a good personal history with Kate Forbes, and I think he's the guy who's going to have to make the phone calls to the prospective cabinet ministers who are swithering about whether to accept a cabinet post under Kate Forbes and say to them, look, guys... You've got to do this. We cannot allow this party to implode. Um, she's the leader, she's been elected, and now we've got to make it work. And my guess is that he can pull that off. It's quite similar, Callum, to a situation 12 years ago when Ruth Davidson won the leadership of the Scottish Conservative Party. And she struggled to form a shadow cabinet, really struggled. And the person who made it happen was David McCletchie, former leader of the Scottish Tory party, a supporter of Murdo Fraser's in the election campaign, but somebody who played that same role that I think John Swinney would play and said to the right people, you are going into this shadow cabinet, you're taking a job, we need to hold this ship together before anything goes badly wrong. And I see a lot of parallels between that and the role that I expect uh, that John, who was I, was had a very good rapport with David McCletchie. Actually, they were good. They were good buddies in the Parliament back in the day. I think John Swinney will play a similar role here. Yeah, listen, I I just want to. I know we were going to move on, but John Swinney's commitment to the SNP is absolute. And um, I think if asked, or even if he's not asked, um, if he recognises that there is um, instability ahead, I think he not only should do that job, because I completely agree, but I think he probably would do it off, off and, and make the offer anyway. And I think that'd be a really important part of it. And I think the Stephen Flynn stuff, as I said earlier, is important as well for his role in that as well. Just a thought that strikes me on, on Swinney and, and the role that you guys have outlined for him, Jeff, is the fact that that role is going to be required and will you know likely fall in the lap of John Swinney to, to perform, is that what does that give away? It gives obviously it gives away the fractions, the the sort of difficult the factions within the party, the difficulties within the party, the fractured nature of the party. I'm just wondering if, in some ways, that that is already at some sort of admission of defeat or of this kind of new era for the SNP that they don't fully know how to handle. You know, you would think that in a disciplined party, this role wouldn't need to exist. Yet here we are saying it's going to be actually essential. I think it's more evident in this. And listen, we should be clear that we're, t- we're hypothesising on a Kate victory. I'm not necessarily sure, sure it's needed to the same extent if, if Hamza wins because he has already command commanding support of a lot of the uh, parliamentarians as we discussed. But honestly, and appreciate Andy's views on this, uh, there's always been a role for people like this in in political parties. And it goes on all the time. There's always a phone call here or there, whether it's during a leadership contest or whether it's a policy disagreement or another uh, controversy, whatever it is, there's always people like John Swinney that commands the respect of the entire party and indeed across the political divide in Scotland. Um, uh, There's always people like that. 
um, that, that are making the phone calls, that are trying to appease people, bring them together. Um, it's just that it's so much more evident, Callum, just yeah. now. And, 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 and clearly, if Kate wins, there's going to be a lot of self-reflection from people, um, uh, whether they can continue in the party, all this stuff, these, this, this briefing. But again, success breeds success. And if mm. Kate can demonstrate success within the public opinion, wider public opinion, and I think the party will will follow. But yeah, I, there's no doubt that Pete, John would have a role in that. The, the you know the elder statesman has is always useful to a leader who needs the elder statesman. And uh, yeah, I think Jeff's right. It's it's logical to expect that if Hamza wins, then uh, Kate and her supporters will fall in line much more easily than if it's the opposite. I think the real role here for the party elders is if it's the opposite. Mm. If there are if, if if Kate wins and if people need to roll back on the really quite severe and extreme things they've said about her uh, over the last few weeks, because some of them are gonna need to roll back on that um if if they're gonna hold this together. And I think that's where the key role would be. But I think there's there, there's no question that that will be less required if it's a Hamza victory. One final thing I just want us to spend a few minutes on today because I'm aware that on our next episode there will be a new leader, we will be moving forward I suppose into this next chapter that we're kind of outlining and considering today is perhaps just the, the legacy of Nicola Sturgeon and we might we might touch on this in the weeks to come as well but I feel like now is probably a good time on, on which to, to do it. It's also something that she seems to be spending quite a bit of time on as well at the moment for understandable reasons um, and I just wonder what that, what that legacy is. It feels like the last few weeks the legacy has been dominated by by this the talk of this party that wasn't really ready for life after Sturgeon is that her legacy Andy? Um, you know it's a really interesting one because you know a few of us have been thinking about you know Jeff and I have discussed this plenty in the past um, usually on the golf course or over a beer rather than on a podcast but um, what what is the legacy of Nicola Sturgeon outside of somebody who's been very good at winning elections? Now, obviously, the legacy of any SNP leader that they want, the legacy any leader of the SNP wants is to deliver independence, but obviously that isn't a legacy that has been available to any of them um, at this point. I think you could say that Alex Salmond has, um, uh, you know, post-2014, I think Alex Salmond's legacy would, would have been to pull uh, the movement as close to independence as you could really pretty much get without without getting it, but then that, that legacy is now different because of everything that's happened to him since then. I think that it's difficult to analyse in the cold light, in the, in, the, in the acute moments, it's difficult to analyse how much recent events will impact on Nicola Sturgeon's legacy. The gender recognition issue. Um, Peter Murrell running the party when she was running the country. Um, his loan to the SNP. All of that, sort of the police investigation and the, and the missing money. These things are all live issues and I think it's a it's too difficult now to predict what impact those things will have on her legacy in the future. There is a perfectly reasonable chance that they'll be footnotes and be largely forgotten about. That may be the case that in 10, 15 years time we forget about those things and I think the question then is if we if we look back in that time what will her legacy be and I suppose the trying to be as impartial as possible about it, I do find it difficult to identify 
a massive legacy of hers outside of winning elections. And that is not any kind of personal slight. I have a lot of personal affection for Nicola Sturgeon, actually. She's always been very kind and very warm to me in my personal interactions. And I actually think that she's um, a pretty normal person, as as politicians go. Like, like many politicians are, I think she's a very normal person. I find her very warm. But I do have a bit of difficulty identifying that big-ticket legacy outside of simply being somebody who was extremely good at winning elections and who is an extremely capable and reassuring person to have as your first minister, whether you voted for her or not. She's somebody of undoubted quality, and I don't think anybody could say that she's not a good, hasn't been a good advert for the country and a, and a good, solid first minister. But in terms of legacy, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if it is as great as those around her might want it to be. I mean, <clears throat> really interesting. I mean, first things first. I mean, you, the problem with legacy chat is it's not going to be dictated by the here and now. It's dictated by people's reflections and, as Andy says, 10 or 15 years, I mean, how they look back at somebody. And we just don't really know. Mm. But one thing that really frustrates me, and um, it's it's more of a personal thing about, you mentioned the, the difficulties of, of, of Alex Salmon since the um, uh, referendum, Andy. People forget that we would not have succeeded succeeded relative obviously because um we, we we lost in the referendum in 2014 but we would not have run the score up so close uh, to 45 percent from 27 percent without nicola sturgeon okay yeah and, and that's the truth you know she was a huge instrumental part of that government between 2007 2014 and she played a massive role in the independence referendum campaign and so that's kind of skirted over i think so largely because of the issues linked to, to Alex Salmond, as you say, Andy, but that should not be forgotten. She was a massive part of that. And I worked closely with her for a number of years. And she is an extremely talented person. She is extremely kind. She was my first port of call whenever I had an issue that I needed to discuss about, about um, you know, policy, strategy, just give a quick 10 minutes in her office in, in, in the Scottish Parliament. And she was always um, willing to, 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 to offer advice. Like, similar to John Swinney actually talking about that. In terms of her uh, legacy, uh, no legacy is ever perfect, in my opinion, in politics. There's always, on the other hand, this, and and on one hand, that. And and that's the nature of politics, particularly when you're um, a, a leading a government that wants to uh, 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 divide the United Kingdom, as her opponents would say. But I, I suspect two things. Firstly, she'll be remembered for being... Um, extremely important figure during COVID. Now, she didn't get everything right. There were mistakes made. But in a week where we've looked at the Prime Minister uh, at, at Westminster, and quite frankly, farcical terms, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people in Scotland, sublimely, if, if not overtly, saying, do you know what, we didn't have that up here. Uh, and that was because of the candour and the approach of Nicola Sturgeon. And that was a huge moment that nobody will ever forget you know, in our lifetimes. And so I think she will be remembered more positively than negatively for that. And secondly, do not diminish the electoral success. Yes, we can argue what it achieved and what it did, but that is unprecedented. I don't think that will be repeated again um, anytime soon. And so those things will be positive. And, and you're right, Andy, there has been some negatives too um, in terms of the, particularly the public policy realm. I don't think she's advanced the education gap. She said she wanted to be just discussed that, and the attainment gap, rather. She wanted to be judged on that. That hasn't transpired. 
there are these issues that I do sit t- tend to think will be a footnote around the party and, and the police investigations. I hope they're a footnote, let me put it that way. But overall, I think it'll be a marginally positive legacy, but perhaps she'll, you know, in her quieter moments, reflect that, ah, I wish I'd done the odd thing differently, but don't we all? Well, indeed. <laughs> indeed, absolutely. That is true. And it's interesting to kind of get that perspective now. Uh, as you say, when, when over the next few years that legacy will be formed, and who knows what awaits Nicola Sturgeon next as she takes her place on the back benches. Um, thank you both very much, uh, Jeff and Andy. Great to be chatting to you once again. Uh, so yes, next week then, there will be a new SNP leader. There will be a vote then to choose the next First Minister of Scotland. It's probably quite safe to assume those two people will be the same person. Uh, but you know, nothing's <laughs> take nothing for granted, I suppose. Uh, in any case, we will be here to discuss it all with you on Hollywood Sources. Thank you for listening. Make sure you follow and subscribe. Email your takes, your questions, and indeed your reaction to whoever is elected, uh, selected as the next leader of the SNP. We'd love to hear from you on the podcast as we go forward from here into the next chapter as well. So then, thank you for listening. Follow, subscribe, tell your friends as well. The next time we speak to you will be on Monday after there is a new leader of the SNP. Make sure you join us for that and we'll speak to you then. Hold up. 